Hello and welcome to the Poetry Exchange. I'm Michael Schaefer. And I'm Fiona Bennett. So Michael, since we last saw each other or even spoke to one another, um, the next Poet Laureate has been announced. Indeed, Simon Armitage. Simon Armitage. Yeah, very good. How do you feel about that? I'm quite excited about that. I think he's... Um, I don't know him very well. Uh, um, I have one of his collections and I, uh, I do sort of like his accessibility, I suppose. That sort of... Um, that plays into the kind of thing that I quite like, I think. Um, and the bits I've seen of him and heard him, uh, I think it could be quite, quite interesting. I think it's very exciting. Yeah. I think we all also know, tough act to follow. Tough act to follow. Can't say it isn't. Big shoes to fill. Well, this is a, a wonderful thing, actually, that um, I've only seen him read once at an event that was at that the brilliant Wise Words Festival, and he was in a marquee. And I don't think I've seen any other poet ever hold an audience in the palm of their hand in the way that he did. And it was an extraordinary thing. So I'm very excited Wonderful. about that, and I hope that he'll... You know, I hope there'll be lots of opportunities for lots of people to have that connection to him. Yeah, I tried to see him at Latitude a couple of years ago and he couldn't get near the tent. I mean, it was like a rock star. Yeah. You know, maybe. Yeah. Our guest this month is John McAuliffe. Um, you probably know a little bit more about him, Faye. Do you want to say a bit about John? Um, I think uh, it was a real pleasure. I mean... You meet, I suppose I'd read one of, one of John's collections before we had this conversation. Uh, he's a poet of, I think, four collections, all of which have been nominated or shortlisted or won prizes. He's a fantastic writer um, and a very beautiful, distinctive, honest and direct voice in, on the page. Um, that mm -hmm. was what I knew of him as a poet. And um, we'd met a couple of times and then... Uh, to have the opportunity to say, well, come in and talk to us about the poem that's been a friend to you. you. You never know what that conversation might be. It could be quite different to what you've known yeah. or encountered, but it was a real privilege, I have to say, and a pleasure to be taken into not just the particular poem that he brought along, but the the place of that poem in his journey as a writer and in his journey with his own voice. Um, just a real privilege to hear about that. It is quite a tricky poem, quite a dense poem, would you describe it that way? Yes, and it's full of illusion and image and ambiguity. It's not a, it's not a direct poem. Okay. I, I would say this is, this is one um, that would probably benefit listeners if they are able to open the the notes thing on the podcast and you can you can see the poem the text of the poem there yeah. i think it might help I, th I think it helped me when i was listening through to have the poem up in front of me um and yeah because it's an, it's an extraordinary poem and it goes in unexpected places and you know um a, a couple of a couple of listens and a couple of reads really seems to to help with this one yeah definitely it's more for me because it's because it's unexpected. It's not that any of it is necessarily kind of um, complicated or uh, anything. Exactly. I think that's why I was kind of resisting the word dense because right. I don't think it's, you know, I don't think it's difficult. I don't think it's obscure. I don't think it's 
um, trying to come away from you, but it, it just, it, it deserves some space. So you'll be listening to Fiona and Al talking about Matthias Pascalis, Among the Roses, by George Seferis, the poem that's been a friend to John. I have. Yes, I have. Um, would, you, would you mind reading it for us? Sure. I've been smoking steadily all morning. If I stop, the roses will embrace me. They'll choke me with thorns and fallen petals. They grow crookedly, each with the same rose colour. They gaze, expecting to see someone go by. No one goes by. Behind the smoke of my pipe I watch them, scentless on their weary stems. In the other life a woman said to me, you can touch this hand, and this rose is yours, it's yours, you can take it, now or later, whenever you like. I go down the steps, smoking still, and the roses follow me down, excited, and in their manner there is something of that voice at the root of a cry, there where one starts shouting, mother or help, or the small white cries of love. It's a small garden full of roses, a few square yards descending with me as I go down the steps without the sky. And her aunt would say to her, Antigone, you forgot your exercises today. At your age, I never wore corsets, not in my time. Her aunt was a pitiful creature, veins in relief, wrinkles all around her ears, and nose ready to die. But her words were always full of prudence. One day, I saw her touching Antigone's breast, like a small child stealing an apple. Is it possible that I'll meet the old woman now as I go down? She said to me as I left, who knows when we'll meet again? And then I read of her death in old newspapers, of Antigone's marriage and the marriage of Antigone's daughter, without the steps coming to an end, or my tobacco, which leaves on my lips the taste of a haunted ship with a mermaid crucified to the wheel while she was still beautiful. Has this one been around for a long while in your life? Or? Yeah, I think probably I read it when I was about 22 or 3. I can remember I, um, I, I, just, I came across it. There was a beautiful book called A Greek Quartet, and it was an anthology of four Greek poets in translation, and Kavafi was the one that I had heard, and so I, I got this book. And I loved the Kavafi poems. And then slowly over a year or so, I kind of snuck a bit further into the book. And then I came across this poem. I can remember reading it for the first time and going, oh, I can't believe he's done that. Four <laughs> lines in. And then the next thing happened. I, go, oh, I can't believe it. And every time still, I get, a, I get a shock of revelation. And even now, when I get to the mermaid at the end, I'm going, what? Where on earth? And you've crucified a mermaid in a poem. How have you done this? You know, When the roses start following him down, and everything comes to life in the poem. And it's just, it feels, um, it feels like an utterly transformational, a poem about transformations. But every time I read it, it just turns my head around. Um, so I find that it wakes me up to, to language and it wakes me up to the things around me. It reminds me of the absolute pleasures of poetry. Do you remember where, where you were? I was, I was in Galway where I was at university. Um, and I was just beginning to, uh, to write 
and I was beginning to try to think about where, if I were to be somebody who was going to write, where, what, what on earth I would contribute if I was going to be a writer in, uh, in, a, in a town which Galway was, which is full of poets, um, where there were lots of conversations about poetry all the time. And this was a kind of poem I thought, well, nothing like this. I don't know anything like this. Um, so um, it was a great encouragement to me as a writer uh, to try and be uh, bold and daring and true when I was um, starting off as a poet. So, yeah. so, it's, so it's really, it's, really um, it's a poem which I suppose reminds me of the kind of uh, the ambition to write um, and to be, uh, to be free as a writer. Mm. Um, and truthful. And truthful. You know, some of the lines that he throws in here, they're, they're so prosaic alongside the wild stuff. The bit, of, the bit about the ant, Antigone's ant. I still worry about what it means to have a nose that is ready to die. <laughs> I, don't, I, you know, I look at that line and I think, you know, that, that defeated the translators clearly. And I don't know, I don't know what, but, oh. but even that, I just think the ant is a pitiful creature. I just manages to get across the ordinariness of life alongside this sort of amazing feeling of, 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 of how love works um, in the poem as well. How did that resonate as a 22-year-old? Do you remember? Yeah, well, I, I think also, I, I guess I was in love at the time, you know, um, and I think started, so it sort of spoke very, I, thought, I, I was getting that for the first time as well. Um, so I thought, oh, oh yeah, this is what that's like, mm -hmm. you know, and so it really, it, it resonated with... Um, with that part of my life at that time too, mm. and still does. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, absolutely. Can you remember, John, the the poems you wrote after reading this? Were they? Did it have an immediate effect on things you tried out? Or yeah, yeah. I guess it did. You know, I can think of poems that where um, where imagined things take on as much uh, prominence as the ground in which they were set. So I was trying to invent mm -hmm. things to place in a, in a given landscape. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I think it was a, it, it, it encouraged me to, to, to dream and to be irresponsible um, as, a, as a writer. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> it was a shock to me, the aunt and Antigone. You know, I'm one place with him and his reflection and the roses and all that they might mean and his vulnerability. Yeah. And then suddenly there are these other characters. I know. So, so tell me for you, what, what, what's the shift into that in the third stanza? Well, you know, um, there's a bunch of things happening, I think, it, just before them, where he says, I go down the steps, smoking still, and the roses follow me down, excited, and in their manner there's something of that voice at the root of a cry. And I, like, I think that he's dead at this point, that he is, he is being buried, he's gone underground, and the afterlife is a haunting. Um, and, he's, and the voices that come to him are all the things that he can't get out of his head, you know? Um, and I think this is the spirit in which Antigone and the aunt, these are, these are figures where he has done something which he really, there's great regret, um, in them, and maybe he was forbidden to see somebody yeah. who he had fallen for, mm. and and he's trying to he's trying to make sense of this 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 lost life that he might have had. Um, okay. 
so that's my that's my reading for where these figures come wow. from. Yeah. But he's, the smoking is like the breathing, you know. It's mm. almost like he's just there's the air coming out of his mouth, and he's still going, still going. But but he's not going to be he's not going to be smoking much longer. Wow. <laughs> so that line there, where one starts shouting, "Mother will help." What's that? Um, and who's that? I suppose these are these are these are the things you would say when you're about to leave. You know, help. You know, you're you're dying. Yes, this is gone. You know, you're calling for who will save you. You know, and it's the yeah. mother, or it's yeah. or it's just whoever whoever loves you and whoever you love to, to come and save you. Yeah. So this is him. This, this is, is him. Yes. This is him crying out. Yeah. yeah. Or he's going, oh no, oh no, now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you know, it's, I feel a terrible sense that I may be getting this completely wrong, but this is what absolutely well, what I have read into this these few lines. Um, and because he's describing perhaps a lost opportunity, yeah. a life that, that it's a death anyway. It is. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. um, whether or not he's still alive, it's, yes. a, it's a life that died. And yeah. Yeah, the aunt's line, um, who knows when we'll meet again, yeah. seems to suggest discouragement from her, doesn't it? That's right. As if she's warding him off. Yeah. This figure, this powerful, like this guardian, who also has some kind of claim on the kind of sexuality of, of the younger Antigone is it's a really powerful prohibiting figure. The the person yeah. who says no. It's incredible how he manages to conjure her th this figure, um, the aunt. Yeah. In so few lines. Yeah. I mean those two little fragments of of, of her voice are, yeah. are just genius, aren't they? <laughs> they are, they are. <laughs> you know, and genius translation, I might say, yes. as well. I'm not yeah. sure who the translator is. Yeah, but. it's sort of amazing. But it's, you know, she's the boss, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Oh, yeah. And you forgot your exercises <laughs> today at your age. You know that thing, yes. at your age? Mm. Yeah. That controlling voice. That's right, that's right. And the who knows when we're meeting, you know, on yeah. one hand it's all this very light, but actually it's deeply controlling. And it's treacherous. And treacherous. Ah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Were you at that time encountering anyone who was, I mean, not necessarily, I mean, it may be, yeah. it's exactly that? Or? No, I, you know, I, I, I guess that, um, you know, I suppose growing up in Catholic Ireland, as I did, and even though it was in a reduced state, um, mm. by the time I went to university, there, there, there were prohibitions, um, and there were things which were, which people were unable to say in public, um, or unable to discuss. So it, this felt very familiar to me, um, this voice, um, because to name, to be in a position to to name somebody, um, and to tell them what was expected of them, in an unopposable way, is a very powerful position, and there certainly were a lot of people in that uh, position um, who, you, who you'd wish uh, hadn't been there retrospectively you know mm. um, and the mm. breakdown of that voice has been one of the kind of great glories of the last 25 years or so um, in Ireland um, I think this is, a, this is one of those poems that kind of allows you to, to know what is kind of incohate or uh, unsayable 
but this feeling about there are pressures around you for things you, you ought, you ought, the voice that says what you ought not do, <laughs> or the voice that says you must, or thou shalt not, or whatever those voices are, um, which are so shaping. Um, and uh, poems like this, which kind of identify that voice in ordinary people and ordinary conversations is a uh, very liberating really I think or, or certainly um, I, don't, I don't think I certainly don't think I was conscious of this as being something when I read the poem first of all but I completely recognize this mm-hmm. I love the way that Seferis though you know he says these really mean things about about her you know pitiful veins in relief wrinkles and, and then this weird no, a nose ready to die but then you get this other line which is the sort of thing that I find that makes his, vo- he's not going to be just punitive in the way that, you know, that, that she is, because he says, but her words were always full of prudence. And he's always, he, you know, he, he's not getting sucked into this kind of absolute, um, into hatred, really. Into demonization. Yeah, into yeah. demonization. Yeah. And that's the bit, you know, where his voice is larger than this other voice. And I, and I sort of, I love that move. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. And it's one of the things that I, I you know, I, when I find poets who can do that, who have a, a tenderness and a gentleness in how they think about the other, even if it's another that they're, mm. that's not congenial. I'm interested just in a, in a very kind of general way about how the poems lived with you. Do you kind of reread it very often? Or I do. Just oh, yeah, no, I reread it all the time. You know, yeah. So yeah. I do. Yeah. It's, um, like I think language is, you know, it's what, it's what poets are, you know, we, we are the sound and noises that words make and the ways in which words lead us away from ourselves into new places. That's, um, that's, that, that's what poems do so wonderfully. They take the words that we know and they, and they put them next to other words mm-hmm. um, and they're, they're escapes which return us to where we're from, um, uh, even as they take us to new places. Um, and this is a poem which um, I, I, I read all the time. Um, and I feel it's, part, it's one of the places where I live, um, this poem. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always on, always on the agenda for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's wonderful. But talking of risks, John, I can't let you leave without talking about that amazing last line. Yeah, what is that? That about? sort of grandstanding, <laughs> it's just <laughs> extraordinary. You know, I would, tell my, I would tell my students, you know, you can't use haunted, you can't use beautiful, you can't put a mermaid, you can't use crucified. You know, wheel, maybe, you know? Like, in, a, in, a, in those last couple of lines, every one of those other words is going to capsize a poem. Like, it's just they, just, they just can't work. And yet, here we are. Amazing. Here we are, just pointing at the, the, yeah, there's a mermaid crucified to a wheel on a haunted ship at the end of this poem. So it's like an impossible creature something that never could be, which is resurrected in the poem. You know, it's, right. uh, and it's, it's sort of amazing. It's just amazing, amazing. A symbol for his relationship that never Yeah, could have, uh, I think so, yeah. I think so. And like, I think, and now he's, the mermaid is a creature of the sea, which is also a creature of the air, and he's half dead and half alive in this poem. He's underground, and yet he's speaking. You know, he's the rose petals, but he's the roots of the rose. You know, so it's, it's completely in keeping <laughs> with this amazing uh, kind of the other, the other kind of images that are in the poem as well, I think. I went to Greece for the first time two weeks ago. Um, and 
the blue of the sky and coming out of the, the blue sky and, go, and of course it was springtime. So the smells were everywhere and that sense of the kind of the sensory overload of the world and when he goes into the ground, I go down the steps smoking still and he's in a small garden full of roses, a few square yards descending with me as I go down the steps without the sky. I just think, oh, don't leave the sky behind, without George. Sky. Please, Matthias, stay up, the, stay up with the sky. Yeah. But the Greek sky is really something, isn't it? Yeah, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, so um, it brought home to me, I suppose, the suddenness of what it means to go underground from a place like that. I think living in Manchester or living in Galway or Kerry, being underground and being outside is not... The, 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 <laughs> <laughs> the, the contrast isn't quite so clear sometimes, <laughs> you know? Um, but, no. but, you know, this poem, you know, you can really feel, it made me feel the agony <laughs> a bit more yeah, clearly. Yeah. yeah. Matthias Pascalis, Among the Roses. I've been smoking steadily all morning. If I stop, the roses will embrace me. They'll choke me with thorns and fallen petals. They grow crookedly, each with the same rose colour. They gaze, expecting to see someone go by. No one goes by. Behind the smoke of my pipe, I watch them, scentless on their weary stems. In the other life, a woman said to me, you can touch this hand, and this rose is yours. It's yours. You can take it now or later, whenever you like. I go down the steps, smoking still, and the roses follow me down, excited. And in their manner, there's something of that voice at the root of a cry, there where one starts shouting, mother, or help, or the small white cries of love. It's a small garden full of roses, a few square yards descending with me as I go down the steps without the sky. And her aunt would say to her, Antigone, you forgot your exercises today. At your age, I never wore corsets, not in my time. Her aunt was a pitiful creature, veins in relief, wrinkles all around her ears, a nose ready to die. But her words were always full of prudence. One day I saw her, touching Antigone's breast, like a small child stealing an apple. Is it possible that I'll meet the old woman now as I go down? She said to me as I left, who knows when we'll meet again. And then I read of her death in old newspapers, of Antigone's marriage and the marriage of Antigone's daughter. Without the steps coming to an end, or my tobacco, which leaves on my lips the taste of a haunted ship, with a mermaid crucified to the wheel while she was still beautiful. That was Al Snell with the gift reading at the end there. Our thanks, of course, to John McAuliffe 
for coming in and talking to us and uh, uh, giving us his permission to use the conversation. To the publisher, Princeton University, and to the translators, Edmund Keeley and Philip Sherrard. We'll have a link on the description page where you can find the poem. We'll also be putting a link uh, on that page to uh, more information about where you can uh, find some of those fantastic collections of John McAuliffe's own work. Um, Gallery Press are the publishers, but we'll put all the information there. He's really a terrific uh, voice of our time and a beautiful writer, so I really encourage you to do that. And our thanks again to him for spending the time introducing us to that amazing poem. Any more for us to say this month, Phil? So if, like me, when John McAuliffe came through the door with the George Seferis poem, you were in that place of, oh gosh, yes, George Seferis, Nobel Literature Prize winner, oh. big poet whose work I sort of have read one or two of, but don't quite really remember or fully know or haven't got to know. Go to that description page, find that information out, get the collected poems and the diversity of work in there. Um, yes, some poems in this conversational way, in the way that John took us into the uh, Matthias Pascalis t story, uh, some more work of that kind, but many other kinds of poems and uh, registers in his work and brilliantly translated. So, Michael, there's actually been quite a lot of activity going on with various exchange days and uh, loads more people listening to podcasts, which is really exciting. And also some more people signing up to get the newsletter. And I know that we've got one of those coming out soon. So um, if you are interested in kind of getting a bit more information about what we're doing with Poems as Friends and next and future plans, do go to the website and just sign up to get the newsletter. We don't do too many of them. We don't inundate you, but I think... Um, what do we do? One a quarter? I think we do one a quarter, as they say. There you go. Yes, it's developing into a nice, <laughs> nice little moment, that newsletter. We'll be back with you next month for more Poems as Friends. Until then, thank you for listening. <laughs>